This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we continue our review of The Chosen with a discussion on the second episode of Season 2. It's going to keep it going, this wonderful conversation that we have about Chosen, second season. I don't know. Are we just ready to blow the spoiler? Oh, I guess we could. It's always a good chance. I mean, you ended our last episode. Well, two episodes ago. Last time we had a Chosen discussion. You ended here. I'm going to start here because... People find our podcast for different reasons. I'm sure people are jumping into our podcast right now because of a verse-by-verse journey through the Gospel of John. People jump into Romans or Revelation or whatever. We're always trying to encourage people. Our, the journey of Bema is not just kind of like this abstract podcast, but we designed it on purpose to take us through the narrative of Scripture, kind of, kind of in a historically chronological sense from Genesis through Revelation and even through church history. So sessions one through five are a intentionally designed experience, and it's designed to start where it does and to give you the first few episodes experience that we give you right there. And then we give you different tools uh, along the way for your journey. Now, some people don't have those tools, and they're fine. They like figure it out as they go. It doesn't bother them. But for the average listener, the average person, especially people that have been like raised or grown up in an evangelical setting, trained in like a a very Sunday school-esque aware, you know, understanding, awareness of of the scripture, like there are certain tools that we want to unpack in the right order so that we don't throw people off or confuse people or upset people. And so we try to, we try to teach us. Not to be, not to be too blasphemous, but like we talked about in the last uh, chosen episode with Jesus's line, I don't tell everyone everything all at once. Yeah, that's a great callback. I do love that. So we, it's designed to work a particular way. And so we love to beg our listeners. Um, we know that it's a huge task. I mean, we're 200 some odd episodes. What are we, 250, 260 episodes in at this point, Brent? Yeah, this is two, 260 right here. And there's a few, there's a few like random ones interspersed there. So it's, it's even more than that. Yep. So, so we've got, there's a lot of content there. And when you think of going all the way back, and bit, Brent loves to talk about just binging, like get in there and just listen to the whole thing as quickly as you can effectively do it, binge it, and you can always go back to sections like, man, I really I really need to spend more time with the prophets, or that gospel content was really dense, and I want to go through that again, or you know, whatever it is, you can always go back, but you can binge through that so you can catch the larger arc. You can see the big picture and picture. Sorry, I read Dent. And and you can you can really talk about you can have what's an overarching awareness of 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 where this whole thing is headed and have all the tools in your toolbox and just just go back to the beginning. We're begging you. Um because uh there's such a wonderful journey there. And I get emails every single week. Every week without fail. Multiple emails usually um of people saying, you know, you told us to go back to the beginning and we did and wow like what an incredible experience. I'm so glad we did it. So don't miss out on that opportunity. Um, go back, even if you have to like listen to both. Like Even if you want to do the John verse by verse and binge from the beginning, it will at least be better than missing all of that context, missing all of those tools, assuming that you know what we're talking about, but maybe not catching some of the things we're referencing. Anything you would add to that, Brent? Nope. I I fully advocate. There's there's always time to go back and uh dive deeper later, but 
You know, maybe, maybe you spend all this time in Abraham and then, and then you get to David and you're like, oh, actually I, I should have spent all that time going deep on David. Cause this is so much more interesting to me. Like, so, so get the big picture and then you'll know like, okay, here's the areas where I want to go back and, and focus more on. So there you go. That's, that's my thought. We should blow that spoiler horn and get into it. All right, let's do it. So we start off and uh, we see Nathaniel. He's uh, an architect. He's on a building site. Um, he's arguing with the foreman and uh, and talking about, you know, whatever whatever his requirements are and stuff. And, uh, and then there's this big crash and uh, there's a collapse outside. All this dust comes rolling in the window. They, they run out to see what's happening. And, uh, and Nathaniel is just immediately blamed for whatever it was that happened. Uh, whatever went wrong, it's Nathaniel's fault. And, uh, and he kind of, he has this terror look in his eyes. And, uh, and then that, that's our opening. That's, then we jump to the credits. I'm going to jump ahead here and continue that Nathaniel thread for a second. So we see Nathaniel entering uh, a tavern. He orders a strong, he says, he says he wants a strong drink and a cheap drink. And uh, the bartender is like, ah, okay, well, what's the story behind this? And, and Nathaniel's telling the story about how somebody died and he had all these ambitions and then it all came crashing down. He never got to do any of it. And, uh, and then the bartender's like kind of nodding along and Nathaniel's like, look, it, it's actually me. I'm, I'm the one in the story. I'm the one who died. And the bartender's like, yep, I can definitely see see that in your face. The, the thoroughness, again, just great character development. Some of it even historically relevant and some of it just completely detached as far as I can tell from the historical setting. But I love the personalities that they give these characters. And uh, <laughs> obviously that will come up. This episode again, uh, I'm assuming throughout the seasons to come, like this part of his, like, yes, Nathaniel, we didn't need you to explain the joke. We were following along the whole time. I love that. I love that part of it. Yes. Um, so then then jumping back to right after credits. So we have um, Simon, Thomas, James and John, they're on their way to get some firewood. And then Philip starts wandering up out of the the wilderness and he's like hey i've got a message for jesus and they're all like ah, i don't know if we can trust you why don't you tell us the message and then uh then he's like well I, you know I, I know andrew and andrew then comes running up a few moments later and verifies his identity and drags him off and the other guys are like yeah okay whatever <laughs> and then uh matthew comes back he reports um finding uh, wood in the ravine, but it's wet. And Philip's like, no, no, that's fine. We can work with that. And, uh, they, they begin quoting Ezekiel 39. Most of the group of the disciples join in as, as you know, he, he spits out one line of Ezekiel 39 and then everybody else joins in, which I, I got to mid sentence. Uh, yeah. I got to jump yeah. in here and just be like, I am freaking in love with that, how they, historically to have rooted and developed these characters like i it, i didn't know coming out of season one i was like is this just all gonna go downhill and trust me it has its moments even this episode i'm gonna have some things to say but by and large this just keeps getting historically better like i don't know how they keep pulling this off but they they bring in philip who i would have never associated as an s scene but i don't know why not and so 
But the way that they right, – you have Philip, this Essene. You're going to have Nathaniel as a Herodian. We've already seen a tax collector, Matthew. You've got more Pharisaical. Decide, like They have played those identities so well because you have this Philip wandering in from the wilderness, <laughs> just perfectly played as an Essene, who's, who's got like this deep-seated contemplative wisdom He's not caught up in all like the surface level nonsense. It's like he's all aloof, kind of this radical fanatic. But he's also the guy that's quoting Ezekiel. I mean, God, it's just so good. And he's and of course you want you want the text to be on the lips of the Essenes. What was the what were the Essenes all about, Brent? They're all about um uh, memorizing the text and recording the text, copying the text, knowing the path and walking the path. We should we should link that episode in our show notes. Like that was such a, his personality, his character is just so spot on. Like here's here's Matthew. Everybody else is caught up in the practical, and right on Philip's lips is text. And he uses it to speak truth into the situation. And, and everybody else knows their text too, but he pulls them into the text. They're now thinking text. They're quoting text. They're thinking about visions of the kingdom and of restoration and redemption and prophecy. It was just like such an Essene thing to do. Like I was just like fist pumping when I saw that for the first time. I was like, this is so well done. Well done, chosen writers. Well done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is uh yeah, so good. Um so then then we have uh Philip walking with Matthew and he's like, Hey, so what's going on with you and Simon? <laughs> Seems like there's some tension there and they're talking about that and um Matthew's like, Well, hey, you know, I I would love to memorize the prophecy. Like I don't I don't know all this stuff like you guys seem to know. And uh and Matthew it expresses his frustration. He's like, Everyone's always speaking in riddles, I don't get it. And Matthew does this drawing in the in the dirt, um, which is beautiful and uh, a beautiful idea. And I think hopefully we'll come back to that idea later. Um, but he, he does this drawing and he's like, look, I, I feel like everyone's here in the world and I'm an outsider to literally everybody. And Philip's like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I understand the outsider perspective too. Like I feel that way too. Just totally relates to him, uh, even though he's completely different. Yeah, and again, love Brent, this any, anybody that has listened to Bema and has gone back and been with us through that journey, if you don't understand how much I freaking love everything about this whole, I mean, Matthew talking about the Mamzer, what it's like to be outside, be an outsider, outside the circle, the Essene, like, oh, I totally get that too. I'm an outsider too. Like, it just fits so perfectly with everything that I love and I teach and I espouse and I just freaking love this part of the whole thing. I'm absolutely in love with the first half of this episode. Highlight of the show. Um, so then, then we come back to Nathaniel and he's wandering around, um, presumably drunk, although he doesn't really look particularly drunk. Um, I guess he, he got a strong drink, but he, he only could afford one. Um, so he's wandering, he finds a tree, Plops down under the tree, pulls out his architectural drawings. Uh, I, I initially thought he was going to uh, to just rip them up, but he actually starts um, starts into a prayer and starts expressing his feelings to God in this very raw way. And then he he burns uh, burns the drawings and continues on in his prayer. And 
jumping ahead a little bit, this is a, a, the later scene, but, but, uh, it's getting dark. The, uh, the papers have all burned up and he scoops up the ashes and sprinkles the ashes on his head, uh, before he leaves, before he leaves that spot. Yeah. And I, I just gushed over everything else in the episode. So I think I've earned the right to say this was not my favorite portrayal, but we, we, I think we can link in the show notes, our discussion of this. We did an episode not too long ago, just a few weeks ago, yep. where we discussed the fig tree idea there, and um, it was like a weird it – was, it was a well-done artistically, um, well-done portrayal. It was a weird location for a fig tree. It's kind of half dead. Like, it, it works in a lot of ways. <laughs> Who knows what's right over the hill? Like, I, I get it. Obviously, it's a fig tree somewhere in the middle of somewhere. So um, it, it's a well-chosen fig tree for what he's going through in the show. Uh, just not my, not, you know, for somebody that has opinions, historical opinions, it wasn't my favorite portrayal, but, uh, yep. there you go. Episode 253, we spent, uh, almost half the back half of the episode, um, uh, talking about this, um, this fig tree idea and the calling of Nathaniel. So check that out. If you're curious on our perspective, we don't need to rehash the whole thing here in, in this short amount of time. Um, so let's see, we have, uh, we have Philip and he's, um, continuing his discipleship of Matthew, teaching him how to prepare firewood, uh, how to do manual labor in general. He starts working on um, teaching him how to tell jokes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Matthew's struggling with that, but uh, he's he's just expressing how, you know, he's unsure why he was called. And Philip's like, look, Jesus saw something in you and whatever else you need, he'll give to you in the proper time. Yeah, that's one of my favorite quotes, too. Like, even if we drop a clip in there. Matthew, what you think you know, it doesn't matter. Only that Jesus chose you. That's where your confidence comes from now. Like, there there was this moment where Jesus, no matter no matter who he thinks he is, no matter where he comes from, no matter what his history which is going to come back later here in a moment, but I'm going to refrain from that in my notes right now. But no matter, like you have a new identity because of what there's a, your identity is now found in, in, in confidence of who, of the fact that Jesus called you. Like it's such a trust the story type line and reality that isn't just a great artistic line in the episode of a show, but it's a line they intended this packed with truth. Like who cares who you think you are? Who cares what your parents said you were? Who cares the way that you failed? Who cares? And this will be true for a lot of the characters that like it's, we're talking about Matthew, but it's going to be exponentially true for Nathaniel in, in the show. Anyway, like who cares about all that stuff? Jesus looked at you and called you and gave you a, in a sense, gave you a new identity. That's where your confidence comes from. Your confidence comes from the fact that Jesus sees something in you that you wouldn't have seen without without that presence in your life. And what a thunderous little statement to think about, to unpack, to reflect on, to discuss in your groups. Just a, a huge, cool moment. And they never referenced this specifically, but I, I just was thinking all the way back to Genesis four. Like if you like, forget about all that other stuff. If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? Like Ooh. just, just move mm. forward. Mm-mm-mm. So then when you see uh, Philip tending the fire as everyone else sleeps and then Jesus returns at this point and they're meeting for the first time and 
Jesus asked for a report on John and John, you know, sends, was sending information about his meeting with Nicodemus, his perspective on that meeting. And, uh, Philip is asking Jesus where they're going next, what they're doing. And, uh, Jesus, you know, shares like, yeah, we're going up to Caesarea Philippi. And then, and then after that, we're going up to Syria and, and, uh, Philip's totally on board, but he's like, wow, not, not what I was expecting. You and John really are like, you know, a little bit off the beaten path here with what you're doing. Uh, I love it. And he's like, you know, I, I do have this friend. If we have time, I'd love to to stop and visit him referring to Nathaniel. And uh, Jesus is like, sure. Yeah, we got to make time for friends. Uh, I love, man, again, another character. When I, when I very first saw this season, the first time through season two, I had to get used to the Philip character because it was so he was so radically different than who I would have would have and have created in my mind. I, I don't picture an S scene. I don't picture somebody who's like super well grounded. I always kind of pictured someone slightly insecure. Um, but I love their depi- I, I have no more grounding in my speculation than they do in theirs. I I love they probably are have a better foot to stand on here, but like, I loved I love this new take on Philip for me. Um it's like this so because of his Essene roots and this love for the text and the slightly radical fanatical being, being discipled by John the Baptist, there's this deep seated, almost contemplative wisdom. At one point in that conversation, Jesus says, you're going to be the most experienced of all of them. And yet he's not going to be Peter and he's not going to be part of the inner circle. And he's not going, nor at this point, and I'm only two seasons in, but nor at this point does Philip ever assert his dominance. Like he never plays this card of like, I'm the most experienced. I'm obviously smarter than all you knuckleheads. And yet his character clearly is like grounded. He's compassionate. He sees Matthew. Like I just, I love the person that he is because it's like Jesus looks at him and says, I know you have the tools. I know you're capable and you're going to you're going to sit in like the fourth chair. You're you're going to sit in the middle of all this and be spiritually mature enough that you're okay. He he by far in my mind as it's been depicted, I don't know if you'd agree with this Brent. He seems like by far the most spiritually mature disciple, maybe next to Mary Magdalene in this whole crew. Like he's he's well grounded. He seems to see the big picture. He's well versed in the text. He seems to be the least insecure, uh, and I just love how he carries that in the midst of the Havara. Um, I, I find it to be very—I find his character to be instructive. Like, I keep looking at his character going, I want to be more like that. Like, I'm so, I'm so much more like James and John, Sons of Thunder. I'm so much more like Peter. I want to be more Philip, um, at least as he's depicted here in the show. But anyway, I, I just— I like that. I love that part of the character. Yeah, he just has this humble position. He he has these skills. He has this experience. Um, but until Jesus tells him something specific to do, he's just going to be injecting text into the conversation. He's going to be lifting up the people who are um, pushed to the side, sharing sharing his own confidence with other people. Yeah, my next note, I'm going to get ahead of you here because it's the next scene. But he's going to, maybe the next two or three scenes, he's going to essentially confront Peter on his um, kind of rejection of Matthew 
but he's going to do it in a way that clearly challenges him while at the same time completely preserves Peter's dignity and allows him the opportunity to say yes to becoming a better person, a better disciple, a better friend, a better leader. It's like he's calling out of Peter who he's supposed to be without putting Peter on the spot in a way that shames him. And he does that to other characters too. But it's that next scene where Philip's going to be like, oh, hey, if you see Matthew, you should thank him. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yep. Rather than being like, hey, Peter, why are you such a jerk? He's like, oh, hey. And Peter's obviously not going to learn it right away. But I love that part of Philip. It's just such a great lesson in leadership. Like, Philip is a leader amongst the disciples without a title. He will not have the title of leader. He's not a member of the triumvirate. He's not the rock. He's not Peter. He's not a son of thunder. But as they've depicted him, he's a great case study for what leadership, servant leadership can look like. And I do love that. Pastoral leadership too, I think. Amen and amen. Yeah, yeah. He does He does speak to Simon about that. And and then we, we see Thaddeus um, finding Matthew uh, sitting under a tree, writing some stuff down and and Thaddeus is kind of innocently asking him about what he's writing. And and then Simon comes around and he's like, what are you doing writing? And uh, you're going to get Jesus in trouble. Everybody's trying to use his words against him and you're just going to make it easier for them. And, uh, you know, Matthew turns around with his response that he was coached along uh, by Philip. And, uh, you know, that doesn't exactly clear up the tension, but it does kind of settle down. Simon leaves and Thaddeus is like, you know, he does have a point. So so just be careful with what you're doing. Well, and right in the middle of there, too, is a huge moment for me in my notes where Matthew has this line. Everybody wants to judge us by our past, which I feel like gets Peter's attention because he even in the last episode when they were sitting around the fire at the Samaritan's house, um, who had robbed a horse and, and, and broken his leg. And, and Peter resonates like, I, I know what it's like to be given a second chance for Jesus to find me after I've done something totally stupid and wrong. So when Matthew says it, I feel like it pulls and tugs at Peter. But at the same time, like in that moment, I feel like Matthew has found a voice. He talks back to Peter. Like he he kind of stands up for himself just a little bit right. and confronts Peter. And my notes say, I don't know if Matthew is able to do that without Philip. Like I, I, I don't want to just keep gushing oh, yeah. over Philip. but No, there's no way. Like Matthew does not do that without Philip. <laughs> Absolutely. Philip's called that out of him. It doesn't solve everything, but it does work, I think, way better than Matthew would have expected. <laughs> Matthew's growing because somebody's been willing to take the time. People are starting to see him. And Philip seems to be not only the main proponent of that and the one who's working so hard to do that, Philip's seen the Mamzer, but the, Philip's seen that Mumzer character, but Thaddeus, like, you don't know this in the episode, but I feel like it's like Philip kind of starts this landslide where some people still have a problem with Matthew, but other people didn't necessarily, and they're going to start gravitating towards him now that Philip is in the midst of the group being like, hey, why is everybody so hard on Matthew? Like, knock it off. And Thaddeus starts showing up. And uh, I love that. I love that. Love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah. So Simon does eventually, as they're walking, he, he goes back to Jesus and asks him about Matthew's writing and, and, uh, he's like, Hey, you know, you're not, you're not always around. Like who's going to be responsible for making decisions. Like maybe we could filter it through James and then, then I could kind of be the final decision, you know, not to, not to, you know, just, just throwing things out there, he says. Um, and Jesus like, look, you know, this is all like, we don't need to do this right now. I'm still here. It's, it's all fine. And also, uh, jumping back a little bit. So while they were packing up, Rama was talking with Mary about like just the practicalities of their lifestyle following Jesus and whatever. But they, um, they talk about wanting to learn how to, um, to learn the text more and to read and write and whatever. And so Mary's like, yeah, we can, we can work on that. So, um, while they're in line, Mary, uh, talks to Matthew and asks if, uh, she can borrow a tablet to teach Ram how to write. And Matthew's like, well, Hey, I actually want to learn. I want to learn the text too. And so they kind of, um, develop this group and Matthew's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to ask Philip where we should start. Cause there's so much to learn. Got to figure out where to start. And again, who is he going to ask? Philip. Yep. Philip, because of the relationship he's built and the kind of person, the quality of person that Philip is, but also Philip, because he's the Essene and that's what the Essenes do. The Essenes have the text. I thought it was so great. Love it. Keep going. <laughs> and, uh, so then Thomas comes up and he's like, Hey, Rayma, I can, I can help you with whatever you need. You know, I can answer your questions. And, and she's like, I'm not really looking for answers to questions. I just want to know. I just want to know the scriptures like you guys do. And so she's kind of, kind of holding him at arm's length or holding his, his support at arm's length. And, you know, I think Thomas is a little like, like, obviously he's still trying to develop his relationship with her. And so that's, that's, you know, fun and awkward. And, uh, so then as the, as they're approaching, uh, they're coming up on Caesarea Philippi and, um, Philip is explaining what the city means to Matthew and, um, making jokes about how the city's named after him. And he's like, what, really? He's like, no, not really. Um, still, <laughs> still working on Matthew's joke skills. Yep. Um, so then, uh, once they get into the town, Philip is, and talk about, talk about Herodian, <laughs> Nathaniel being in Caesarea Philippi, my goodness. Um, but Philip is searching for Nathaniel and finds him in his terrible condition and is working to, um, encourage him. And, uh, I love this line from Nathaniel, um, you know, talking about his, his failure as an architect, he says, it'll be a cold day in Gehenna before they hire another Jew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and speaking of textual illusions, that whole hike into Caesarea Philippi, just full of just some beautiful little moments. And I, I have to imagine at least most of them were designed and planned and intentional on behalf of the writers. Um, when Peter is talking with Jesus as they're walking, there's all these allusions to things you're going to see in Peter that I just loved. It, it wasn't overdone. It wasn't corny. I, I felt it was very clever. Like Jesus telling Peter, like everybody here, because Peter's trying to do that whole like leadership dance that you were talking about. And Jesus is like, listen, everybody here, I called here for a reason because everybody has something to give and everybody's going to play a part. And I immediately thought it's Peter who's going to write as you come to him, the living stone, you all as at, as stones are being built into a spiritual house. Like every single one of us is a part. Every single one of us is a stone in a much larger work. And I thought how appropriate that Jesus would have that conversation with Peter. And then, the much less like inspirational, but 
still relevant is, you know, ask my, ask my father how long a thousand days, you know, a thousand years is to him. It'll be Peter, if I remember right, that's going to talk about a thousand years is but a day to the Lord. I just thought those are clever uh, references. I did love the conversation about um, the women. Again, I, I felt like the the show is doing a good job of walking this line of recognizing this patriarchal culture without um, overdoing it in either direction because you have these women that are learning the text. They're, um, they're having to work harder than they ought to to learn it. Um, they're going above and beyond. Uh, and even Thomas, as he comes in. Well, and, and specifically, I would say they're talking about the prophets because um, they they say that they never had the opportunity to go to, I think it was Mary yeah. says, yep. they never had the opportunity to go to Beit Midrash, yep. which which is assuming that they went to Beit Sefer and learned Torah, but then they didn't continue from there. So, Well, she says that to him too. When Thomas comes up, she's like, I, I went to Beit Sefer. Like, I, I learned Torah in Hebrew school just like you. Um, she referenced, not as much as you did, but she references that same thing too, which I, again, I thought was historically brilliant. I thought it was accurate. Uh, I loved how instead of like, because they could have made Thomas or any of these characters like really heavy handed in this like women don't do that kind of a thing. And yet they they preserved that patriarchal expectation and they still even preserve like in Thomas almost like this like presumptive, I wouldn't call it scoffing, but they connected it more to his humanity. Like he just wants to be like impressive. He wants the girls to like, oh, well, I could answer your questions. Like they couched it more in that than a bunch of theological drama. And I like how they preserve the tension of these women finding their voice in a world that typically doesn't give them one. And at the same time, like not making that some huge source of overdone tension in the show as well. I like how they're walking that line. They're doing that well. Yeah. And I think it helps. People that t- probably totally disagree with me, but that's okay. Well, I think it helps that Thomas is romantically interested in Correct. Uh, Rama. And, and so there's that, yes. there's that modern tension there where he doesn't want to be too much, but he like, he does want to be around her more. So it's like, Oh, uh, I could answer some questions for it, like impress her by, by his knowledge, but also, um, that gives him an opportunity to spend more time with her. Uh, so yeah, I, I think there's lots of, lots of little things at play there that, that make it work. Well, and I can just tell you as somebody that went to bridal college, I mean, Bible college, um, that was intentional on my part. Sorry. I just pulled a Nathaniel <laughs> explaining my own joke. oldest, oldest joke in the book, Marty. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So as somebody that like, that's the same, like, that's so by the book, like, I mean, and it's not because of some big, huge, complementarian theological stance. It's just in your own insecurity, you're trying to like be this impressive, you know, you know, upcoming preacher and teacher and Bible knowledge scholar, and that's such a man's role. And and I mean, that's just such that was that's so true and accurate to the experience even today. So I can appreciate how they portrayed that. Um, <sighs> To my, to my shame and chagrin. Even today, Marty, how long have you been married now? Oh, I just celebrated 18 years. 18 years. <laughs> well, let's, I mean, maybe today. Maybe. But. 
<laughs> Maybe. Not that I'm that much closer to today. People people love to write in whenever I have my episodes with my wife and talk about how much talking I do during the episode. Like, you know, <laughs> somebody ought to shut up an awful lot more and let somebody else talk. I'm like, thank you, everybody. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, so Phillip's with Nathaniel, and uh, he's explaining, like, hey, I'm following somebody new now, and uh, I think this guy's the one, and, and uh, you know, explains who he is a little bit, and they're joking about Nazareth, and uh, and Phillip's like, no, no, he's he's insistent. He's like, no, really? And Nathaniel kind of, like, pauses for a moment. He's like, whoa, I've never heard you talk about anyone this way. This is, okay, I'm starting to, starting to get that this is actually different. Um, so then we see Jesus walking down the street and he encounters Philip and Nathaniel. And then this is where Nathaniel's called, makes his confession. Again, we covered that all in episode 253, so we won't rehash the whole fig tree story, but, um, that's where that happens. And then Andrew comes in, um, uh, with a report from, uh, John who just got back from Syria. And he's like, look, the crowds are already gathering up there. So here we go. And that's the end of our episode. Yep. Wasn't totally in love with the ending of this episode, but man, there was so much I loved about the episode. It more than made up for it. I'm still, I'm still happy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. And I think, uh, yeah, the, uh, the idea of, uh, of Jesus' work up in Syria and, uh, and, uh, I think there was some line about like, oh yeah, we're not, we're not, uh, who asked Philip, Philip or Nathaniel or one of them asked like, Oh, are we going to Damascus? Are we going to, um, and Jesus is like, Nope, Nope. We're not doing the big cities. We're going, we're going to the smaller areas. And so just this, this idea, like, I'm yeah, yes, crowds are gathering, but I'm not going for the, the big important places. I'm going for the people who don't have anyone else caring for them or whatever. Yep. And, and I'll tell you, I would have had a hard time placing, uh, like when they when Nathaniel's found in Caesarea Philippi, I had that same like reaction of like, oh, oh, there's no way they would have found him there. But they recently, like just in the last two, like since the last time you were there, since the last time I was there, Brent, I haven't even seen it yet. They have done a, a bunch of digging at Caesarea Philippi and just found some stunning. It became this archaeological dig because they were trying to um, repair the kind of repair the ruins right around that cave that we talked about maybe we need to link that episode to um the gates of hell episode and they were doing some work there and because they had to like dig in order to reinforce the wall they actually found that where they used to think the temple sat in front of the cave and they were like oh nope the temple wasn't there the temple was somewhere else they actually found that there was a Christian church built in front of that cave later, post-Jesus, obviously, Christian church. But there's a huge church ruins there. Tradition, uh, was it Eusebius? I think there's a couple different church historians that say the woman that was healed of um, the bleeding from 12 years, the woman that has the internal bleeding hemorrhage, she was, tradition says, from Caesarea Philippi. And her home was apparently there and enshrined by the early Christians. And as they were doing this dig elsewhere, they found, uh, well, I don't know if this is a recent find, but at that same location, they actually found a statue of her broken into pieces. And they're trying to figure out if it's at the home or if it's been moved to a church. The, the dig report was just out and it probably needs to be peer reviewed and everything else, but... 
huge, huge finds there, which makes me reconsider this whole, well, Nathaniel wouldn't have been found in a set. Well, if he's Herodian enough, there apparently were observant Jews in that area uh, that are from that place. Uh, Nathaniel could absolutely be from that. And, and I would have said no way two years ago, three years ago. Um, but based on what they just found in the last two years there at that site, I'm so excited to go there. Um, we'll get to be there, uh, Brent, shortly after this airs. Hopefully we'll be there. Fingers crossed. We know what happens. <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> but I, it's pretty exciting to consider that. That's an absolute possibility. So the world of archaeology is a fascinating place, uh, a lovely place, and I'm always learning new things. Yeah. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day, like the the recency of how of some of the stuff that we are just now like actually confirming with concrete evidence uh is really mind-blowing because like i've i've not been alive that long and so it's like oh this is what we know and you just kind of assume that we've known this stuff for so long and it's like yep well yeah we had we had the stories we had some records here and there but we've never had the we've never actually uncovered anything and and now we are and it's super yep. exciting. Yep, absolutely. All right, well, that does it uh, for this episode. If you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. And you can find more details about the show at com. So thanks for joining us uh, for yet another bonus episode of the Bama Podcast. We will talk to you again soon. <laughs>